from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 22. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them, day after day he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lusting of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Thank you. you may be seated. And let's pray. Father, there is much at stake as we come to your word. This is of grave importance, not because of this passage, but because of your word. Father, help us in the power of your spirit to receive what you are giving from your mouth and from your hand today. And God, help us to be those who repent, change our thoughts, change our ways, change our lives in order that you may get more and more glory from us. And if there be anybody here, God, that has not forsaken their sins and ran to Jesus for salvation, I pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken them, give them life and help them so that they might repent and turn to Jesus. Help us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I... uh, This passage that Will read last week and this week, he will read again next week, Lord willing. Um, I've tried to get through it, and it just, it has to be broken up. It has to be um, waded through, not ran through. So today we're actually going to cover, you may have seen up there, only had 10 to 17 up there. I started with 10 to 22, too much. I went down to 10 to 19, still too much. 10 to 17 is what we're getting today. So just so you know, we are almost through Second Peter. Um, let me just say something real quick about Second Peter. There are people who um, have through this through the all time uh, since the New Testament age 
uh, wondered about whether or not Second Peter was actually inspired, whether it should be in the in the canon. Um, and God knows how to save the righteous, right? Uh, if you read Jude and Second Peter, you're going to see a lot of similarities. A lot. Why? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Maybe one was to one audience, another was maybe a Jewish audience, and non-Jew- I don't know. Um, but anyway, it's here. We're wading through it, and God is blessing. The Holy Spirit is speaking, so we'll take it. Um, and we're not afraid to look at something and say, I don't know why uh, it is there. I know that God put it there. Why is Jude and this so much alike? I don't know. And honestly, I don't care. I'm going to shoot you straight, which I hope to do every time we're here. So anyway... We'll start here in chapter 2, verse 10, which says, And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. That's actually verses 10 and 11. So if you'll remember, and if you don't remember, you weren't here, you don't know what's going through, what we're going through. We ended our passage last week with a comma, not a period. We were talking about God delivering the righteous out of trials and God's ability to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And we'd seen examples of the righteous in Noah and Lot, and examples of the evil and unrighteous in angels, the world in Noah's time, and the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. And how God preserved the righteous and judged the unrighteous or the ungodly. Now, starting in today's passage, Peter is zeroing in on a certain subset of these unrighteous ones. He starts verse 10 with, and especially those. So all y'all, and especially those on the front row. Okay, so we're zeroing in here. All y'all, and especially those who sang this morning. Great job, by the way. That was fantastic. Um, So yeah, this is going to be about an especially group of unrighteous folks who will see the fierce judgment of God. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Okay, so we've got two characteristics that are, that are going to be especially noted out to these especially group of people who are especially going to be kept under punishment until the day of judgment. Those who, one, indulge in the lust of defiling passion, and two, those who despise authority. And there's so much here. Um, these false teachers, these unrighteous people that Peter said would be coming, he said, false prophets arose among those in the past, and in the same way, false teachers will arise among you. So keep that in mind too, because that's what we're talking about here. And he said, these false teachers that would be coming have lots of bad characteristics, but these two characteristics are pointed out as especially troubling. We've already seen Peter say that many will follow their sensuality, in verse 2, so there's groundwork laid for this already. But here, Peter really pounds home the vileness of lust and despising authority. So let's start with that first characteristic that Peter especially points out. They indulge in the lust of defiling passion. That phrase, those who indulge, is literally those who go after the flesh. And these people go after the flesh, the body, the skin. And they do so in the lust of defiling passion. Now that's quite a combination of words and all that. Indulge, lust, passion. So you see the theme, right? Not much explanation needed for that, right? This is physical. And it's physical desires for forbidden desires. Physical desires for forbidden desires. So I want it physically. I can't have it. It's forbidden. It's physical. I want it. That's what these people are especially going after. These particularly false teachers, these particular false teachers and unrighteous folk are driven by and indulge in these physical desires for forbidden desires. Physical desires, I keep saying that. I keep saying it wrong. Move past it though. So these particular false teachers and unrighteous folk are driven by and indulge in their forbidden lustful passions. They're in it for the physical pleasure that they can get out of it. Now, let me ask you something. What are they in to? Church. They're into leadership in the church. They're into teaching God's people. And they're in it for the physical desires that they have. The physical, lustful desires that they have. It would be as if I were standing up here today going, hmm, mm-hmm. 
take that one and see what I can give. I mean, that's, that's literally what's going on here. And it's as bad as it sounds. Don't forget that. They're in it for physical pleasure. They're in church. They're in leadership. They're teaching and they're leading for their own physical pleasure. They're using their platform to take physical advantage of those who are under their watch care. It's lust. It's defiling passion. And it is utterly sinful. Especially sinful, Peter would say. The second characteristic is that these people despise authority. Now hopefully, somebody standing up and proclaiming the Word of God has some authority. Not in himself, but in the Word of God. But these people standing up teaching from the Word of God despise authority. Now that's pretty interesting. I think we can pretty quickly see indulge and lust and defiling passion and say, yeah, that's terrible, but despising authority, is that so bad? I mean, it's not nice. But is it like defiling lustful passion bad? And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, yes, period. Now what does it mean to despise authority? The word for despise means to contempt, despise, disdain. How about this one? Think little or nothing of. And authority translates as dominion. And Peter has used that word dominion two or three times already. He says, to God alone be dominion. And this word can also mean government, power, lordship, one who possesses dominion. So that leads to the conclusion that these folks who are standing up teaching the quote-unquote word of God, speaking in the quote-unquote authority of the Scriptures, hold in contempt or think nothing of those who are in power, who have dominion, who are ruling with power. So what's so bad about that? I mean, all those in authority are just greedy bureaucrats, right? Listen to me. There is a stark difference between the world system and God's Word. And we're going to hit that hard today. Are there people who are corrupt that are in power today? Absolutely. Have there always been? Yes. Will there always be? Yes. Does that mean that authority is bad? People of God? No. So then what's so bad about that? I mean, all those that are in authority are corrupt, right? And our culture and our society have so slammed and smeared the concept of authority that it's next to impossible to know how to tell the difference between what authority is and then what it's made out to be out there. And I know we've talked about this before, but to repeat myself necessarily, listen to me. Authority is beautiful. It's wonderful. And authority flows directly from God Himself. What did Jesus lead with in the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not me. Jesus said that. Not me. Not Jason. How much authority? To whom? All authority to Jesus. So authority is a pretty big deal, right? You bet it is. And you see it all through Scripture. So, if I'm the devil, I know that authority is important to God. I know that authority is inherently from Jesus Himself. So what am I going to put a full frontal assault on? Authority. By the way, marriage is in a similar boat in our day and age too, but that's a different message for a different day. But back to authority. These particularly held under judgment and punishment folks are all for physical lust and have no interest in the concept nor the people in authority. They dismiss it out of hand. They disregard the whole thought pattern of authority. Why? Because God cherishes it. As should God's people. But these people? Nah, no big deal. Authority, shmathority. I wish I could see how I spelled that here. It's really... These people are like, we've got fleshly desires to pursue. Who has time for authority? 
Now keep these two characteristics of false teachers and unrighteous folk in the church in mind as we move forward. What if, and by the grace of God I pray it's not true, what if these two things defined us as elders? Don, Bob, Jason, oh, they despise authority. And they're really lustful. How would y'all respond to that? <laughs> because that's what's going on here. These are leaders in the church. So keep that in mind as we move forward. So the next thing that Peter says is, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Now that's, there's some crazy stuff going on here, right? So Peter gives us even more detail about these people and their evils. He calls them bold and willful. They like to talk about themselves. And they have no reservations in what they do. The word bold means means presumptuous and daring. Willful means arrogant and overbearing. They're cocky. They like themselves. And they tell you why you should like them too. Everybody say, Pastor Jason's preaching good right now. Don't, 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 don't do that. And in their talk about themselves, everyone and everything else is insignificant. Even the angelic authorities. Peter says they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now what's that about? Well, the next clause helps gives us some insight. He says, whereas angels, glorious ones, angels, though great in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them, those glorious ones, before the Lord. Now we get a peek into the spiritual realm here with angels and glorious ones and such. Things that we don't really understand. So when Peter says these arrogant, lustful people blaspheme the glorious ones, it would appear that they are blaspheming, speaking evil of some sort of angelic beings. So their arrogance is not even contained to earth. It reaches all the way into the spiritual realm. Anybody know anybody that's spiritually cocky? Says stupid stuff about demons and the devil and stuff. I'm a demon executor. Anybody ever remember that old rap stuff there? Anybody remember that? Seriously? That was the thing. There was a Christian rap song about a demon executor. Stupid. Motley Crue. <laughs> Motley Crue. <laughs> Random shout out. Now, it's not clear. Back to the passage. As to whether they're blaspheming angels or demons when it says glorious ones, but I think it's demons because he says not even the angels do this. Okay? And the commentaries are all over the map. For everyone that says it's good angels, there's another one that says it's demons. I'm not sure it matters, but I think it's demons that they're blaspheming. And Peter takes exception to that. Why? It seems that Peter's point is that these arrogant blasphemers really think they're the greatest to the extent that they elevate themselves above those in the spiritual realm, which even those in the spiritual realm don't do themselves. There is a hierarchy, a system of rank and order and authority that the spirits go by in the spiritual realm, and even demons know and follow it. Think about how the demons interacted with Jesus when He was on the earth. They didn't come up and go, they're like, hey, whoa, 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 I know who you are. Are you here to torment me before the time? Hey, if it be alright, can you send us into those pigs? If you got to send us out of this guy? Jesus said, that's fine, go ahead. That's how they interacted with Jesus. They asked His permission. And He told them what to do. You get out of here, you go, you get. You can go into the pigs if you want to. They knew who He was and they did what He told them to. And then there's this interesting snippet from Jude which gives us a little bit more insight into our passage today. Jude 8 and 9. Yet in like manner, these people, same type of people, also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Now watch this. But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil... Now here's Michael Lucifer... When these two were disputing about the body of Moses, and no, I don't know what that means. Don't ask me. 
Michael did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, I bind you, Satan. I rebuke you, Satan. No. But said, the Lord rebuke you. That's from the Holy Bible, by the way. That's my source. And we don't have time to discuss this whole thing about Moses. I said that already. Another time maybe. But look at how Michael, an archangel, an angel of the highest rank, did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment against the devil, against Satan, against Lucifer. Michael instead simply called on the authority of the Lord Himself to rebuke Satan. He left Satan to the Lord. Michael didn't resort to pointing out his exalted place. Don't you know who I am? Satan? Satan knew exactly who he was. He didn't point to himself. Instead, he points to the Lord. But these false teachers, these blasphemers, speak of their authority and their abilities and their strength in dealing even with demons and or angels. I bind you, Satan. I rebuke you, devil. Not understanding that at this current time in God's economy, in our current state as fallen man, we are, according to Psalm 8.5, a little lower than the heavenly beings. A little. <laughs> but, but we know that. And yes, Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 6.3 that we will judge angels. But that's in the future. Peter says in our passage today that angels, whether they're good or bad, are greater in might and power. And we need to know that and apply that knowledge in our dealings with spiritual beings. We'll talk about this in application. If angels don't blaspheme angels or demons, then guess what? Neither should we. But these people do. These unrighteous and arrogant and exalting themselves people far above all earthly and even heavenly power structures people, they do it. they got no power. I mean, they got no problem doing it. they got no power either, but they got no problem doing it. They have no concept of authority. And they're simply seeking to satisfy and exalt themselves. Oh, but wait. It gets worse. But these... Like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. That's 12 to 13a. And woof, what a sentence. Peter doesn't hold anything back here for sure. It's like he's a snowball rolling down here. He's getting bigger and stronger and faster. It's clear that the subjects of this sentence are really bad people, facing a terrible judgment for the wrongs they will have done. But these, Peter says, in contrast to angels and or demons who know better than to blaspheme the glorious ones, these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. Yikes. Now how would you like that to be how you're described? Peter says they are like irrational animals. They don't think, they don't reason, they don't make good sense in what they do. They're creatures of instinct. Instead of thinking and reasoning, they just obey their urges and desires. If it feels good, do it. And if it feels really good, do it a lot. Paul says in Philippians 3 to look out for the dogs. And that's the mindset here. Irrational animals, creatures of instinct, Peter says in our passage today. Now, Peter's talking about people here. Commentator Peter David says they act subhuman and think themselves superhuman. And then Peter says that they're born, listen, they're born to be caught and destroyed. Again, how would you like that to describe you? Jason, you have been born to be caught and destroyed. <laughs> and that's opposed to the image they portray, right? Like they've got it all figured out, like everything revolves around them. And Peter's saying, nah, bro, it ain't so. You're like a spring pig come Thanksgiving time. Sorry, Wilbur. That's some pig. <laughs> Radiant. Their 
end is a direct result of their life path. Why? Because they're blaspheming about matters about which they are ignorant. They talk about things and speak evil of issues they have no knowledge of. They rely on their dreams or their secret revelations or a word that came up that they come up with themselves and they know nothing of the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature, the New Testament writings. They know nothing of the Scripture. Oh, they can quote it and talk about it, but they know nothing of it. It's all me, I, my authority. Touch not the Lord's anointed. That's me. And all that stuff. Not thus says the Lord. And that makes them ignorant, unknowing about the things they're talking about. You ever try to talk to somebody about something that they obviously know nothing about, but they're trying to talk to you anyway? It is annoying, right? I worked in advanced auto parts. I knew nothing about vehicles. It was a long time ago. Guy came up one time. He said, I need some spark plugs for a, a, a Cavalier. I said, four six cylinder. I was asking the coordinate screen. He said, four cylinder. I'm like, how many you need? He said, I guess four. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You want 12? I mean, you know, we're running a special on it today. You know, three, two, I don't know. I didn't know what I was talking about. He did look at me real funny, by the way. That's kind of what's going on here. These people are talking about things they don't know anything about. But boy, they act like they know what they're talking about. That's these folks. And their end is destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Their arrogance, their despising authority, their chasing sensuality, their blaspheming the glorious one nets them destruction. And Peter says they are simply suffering wrong as the wage, their payment for their work of wrongdoing. They earned this destruction. And payday's coming. Oh, but wait, there's more. 13b to 14. I don't think I've got that. Oh, I went back. There we go. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children! This is not very nice, is it? And we see their unashamed debauchery here. They count it pleasure to revel. In the daytime, the word revel means luxury exhibited, especially by overindulgence in wine and food. Checking my gut here. They're gluttons with expensive tastes. It's deeper than just enjoying the things God has given us to enjoy. It's I do because I can, even if it's caviar and chateau drink chameau. I made that up, by the way. Drink chameau. S-H-O-M-E-M-O, Shimon. Shimon. They believe they deserve the best and they deserve lots of it. And they do it in the daytime in broad daylight in front of God and everybody. And they count it a pleasure. They enjoy it. And then Peter says that they are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. John MacArthur says this about this section. I was going to break it down, but he does it way better than I ever could. Quote, Further describing their action, Peter, with obvious disgust, says they are stains and blemishes. Boy, those are absolutely vivid words, MacArthur says. The word stains is the word filth spots, dirt spots. The word blemish is the word scab or defect. It is the idea of dirt spots, defects, filth spots, scabs. They pollute, they're dirty, they're foul, they're diseased. And he says they're reveling in their deceptions. MacArthur goes on to say, they are these filthy scabs, these dirt spots, defects, blemishes, reveling. What does that mean? Living in luxury, living in sinful pleasure, living it up by the passions of their animalistic instincts, deceiving those under their influence into the same dissipations, reveling in their deceptions, they deceive others, they suck them into the life of dissipation. End of quote. Wow. Can you see how terrible God sees these sinners and their sins? And we reply with, well, they're not bad people. Who am I to judge them? And 
that's not very nice. Peter, call somebody a scab. But remember, Peter's working under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Peter's giving God's viewpoint, which should be our viewpoint too, by the way. Again, we'll get to that later. Filth spots, scabs, defects, and they deceive people into being like them. And in our context, this is not a group of sinners partying and destroying themselves. They're teachers, leaders in the church, leading God's people astray. And Peter is saying, see them for what they are. They are feasting with you. Think about sitting back there and eating, patting each other on the shoulder. Ha ha. Great message today, Pastor. Don't let this happen. And these ungodly false shepherds have eyes full of adultery, bottomless pits of adulterous thoughts and actions. And in their desire for this adulterous sin, they entice unsteady souls. So many people are looking for answers, for direction, and they see these pretenders with all this charisma, all these speaking abilities, and they see them flourishing in human terms. They hear them rebuking and binding Satan himself. And these unsteady ones gravitate to these imposters. And the imposters jump on the opportunity to reel them in. And what drives them here? They have hearts trained in greed. And the New Testament is replete with writers warning against being sucked in by those driven by greed. These evil people prey on unsteady sheep and they milk them for all they have because their hearts are trained for it. They take and take and take and they're good at it, having been trained in it by the greed in their wicked hearts, which is from Satan himself. And Peter declares that they are accursed children. Peter is literally calling down a curse on these workers of greedy iniquity. And note that. He's not excusing their behavior or apologetically asking them to change their minds or actions. He's calling down curses on them. There is no place for the wolf in the sheep pen. Get out, wolf! Or better yet, now don't shoot anybody. I'm not going to shoot anybody. Don't misconstrue that. Yikes. Call down a curse on them in the name of Jesus. How's that? Grip the gospel gun and shoot those bullets. Get out, wolf. You are accursed. And it's interesting to see Peter refer to them as accursed what? Accursed children. Why children? Well, the word means more like kind. They are the accursed kind. They are the kind of people who are accursed. Being accursed is the main characteristic of their lives. Therefore, they're children of a curse. They are accursed children. But Peter's not done yet. Verses 15 and 16. And I wrote 16 and 16. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now let me kind of... Most of you probably know all about this, but maybe you don't. So let me give you what Peter's doing in this illustration here. He reaches back into the Old Testament in an account about a man named Balaam. He says these people have forsaken the right way and have thus gone astray. How? They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. If you want to read about Balaam, the account of Balaam is found in Numbers 22 through Numbers 24. So Balaam was hired by a man named Balak. A whole lot of Baal stuff going on here, which tells kind of what's going on in those days. So Balak, the king of Moab hires Balaam to come in and try to call down a curse on the Israelites who had left Egypt, wandered in the desert, and they came up to Jericho. And if you don't know this story, basically God just crushes Jericho to the ground, literally. And so Balak gets a hold of this story and he's like, uh-oh, we got to do something. So he says, there's a prophet nearby. His name's Balaam. I'll call him, and since he's in tune with God, I'll have him call down a curse upon the children of Israel so that they can't take our kingdom like they did Jericho. 
So at first, Balaam says, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. And after a while, God says, no, go ahead and go. Okay? So Balaam gets up to go, and on the way, now here you go, Balaam sets out, and on the way, God is displeased with him. And we find out why in this passage and in Jude in a minute. So God is displeased with him and sends an angel, it actually says the angel of the Lord, to stand in Balaam's way as an adversary. Balaam can't see the angel, but his donkey can which makes me wonder if our dogs are really seeing angels and stuff sometimes. Because donkey sees angel, Balaam no see angel, right? And so at first, the, the donkey turns aside off the path, then he crushes Balaam's leg against a wall, and then finally the donkey just lays down. Because he sees the angel and Balaam doesn't. Balaam's furious and hits the donkey with his staff. Bam! Stupid donkey! And then we see this in Numbers 22, 28-30. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey... And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam, who doesn't seem to be surprised at all, said to the donkey, Because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said, They're just having a conversation here. Am I not your donkey? That's what I say to my wife sometimes. Am I not your donkey? On which you've ridden all your life long to this day. Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam's like, no, no, you're right, donkey. <laughs> so, so why this example? What are these ungodly people doing that makes them like Balaam? Well, again, Jude, in kind of a parallel passage, says this in Jude 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. And they perished in chorus rebellion, which is a whole different subject. So Jude tells us what was handed down about why the Lord was angry with Balaam. He ended up doing what he did for the sake of gain. God said go, and then Balaam's like, all right, I'm going to go make me some cash. And Peter echoes that here in verse 15 of 2 Peter 2, saying, Balaam the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So these unrighteous false teachers are doing what they're doing. Why? For gain, out of greed, Peter had said before. Yes, these accursed children are seeking to make bank off of God's people. Remember, Peter said in verse 3 of chapter 2 that these false teachers exploit people with false words. Exploit God's people, technically. It's for money. And so is this. And Peter says that God used a donkey to correct Balaam, which I think is a direct callback to these people being like unreasoning animals. Donkeys are smarter than they are. God can use a donkey more than He can use these fakers. And then our last verse for today, verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. This verse speaks to the emptiness of these people. They're called waterless springs. How useless is a spring that has no water? Not the season. It's really an impossibility for there to be a waterless spring, right? What makes a spring a spring? Water is springing forth. But these are waterless springs. And that's the ridiculous nature of what Peter's going for here. They're dry, barren, dusty where there should be a free-flowing body of water. They're mists driven by a storm. Farmers and others rejoice to see clouds rolling in that will bring a nourishing rain. But these guys are just empty mists, not life-giving rain clouds. Mists driven by a storm. They're pointless, empty, and devoid of hope. They aren't what they appear to be, and they never will be. For them, Peter says, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Now we've talked about this last week when we saw what they will face that the judgment has already been marked out for them. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them. Their eternal dwellings have already been chosen and booked for them. No refund. And their abode in eternity is the gloom of utter darkness. No light. No joy, no hope for eternity. Feel sorry for them? You ought not to. Peter don't feel sorry for him. God don't feel sorry for him. Well, that's 
very non-compassionate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is. These people are bad, and they've earned what they get in eternity. And so go we, but for grace. The gloom of utter darkness sounds as awful as it is, I would guess. And from all that Peter has said, they deserve it. They've earned it. And God will see to it that it comes about just as Peter has said. Take note, church. We must be vigilant in light of this to make sure that what is being said, spoken, and taught, and embodied is not said, spoken, taught, and embodied in our midst. And listen, I'll say this right here, right now. I'm sure Don would say it. I'm sure Bob would say it. If you hear us teaching things for selfish gain, if you see in us a lustful spirit, you call us on it. Don't let it go on. But that's for application, which is where we're going now, right? How do we orient our lives to be on the right side of God's story in all this and not be on the deserved wrong side? Three application points, three A's. Awful authority antithesis. Awful authority and antithesis. See, y'all thought I was done because I read the last verse. We ain't done yet. Awful. These people being described, these false teachers, these unrighteous people, are really bad. They're bad people. You say, well, there are no bad people, just bad. No! It's not the system. It's not the culture. It's not the laws being passed or not passed. These are bad people. Stop making excuses for them. Look at how Peter goes to great lengths in his language to portray them. I'm just going to scan back through some of the things he said about them. Defiling passion, despise authority, bold and willful, blasphemers, irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught destroyed, ignorant. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime to their blots and blemishes, deceptions, hearts trained in greed, eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice steady souls. They went the way of Balaam, son of Beor, their waterless springs, their mists driven by a storm, and for them the gloom of darkness has been reserved. That's bad. So what's what is our stance supposed to be? What is our action? What is our thought pattern? How do we judge these people? You say, well, you shouldn't judge. Wrong! <laughs> judge not lest you be judged has become the mantra of our current culture. Well, we shouldn't judge. No, you're wrong. We should judge. Well, it's not nice to judge. I don't care. We are called to it. We are called to see sin. Listen, and call it sin. We are called to look at false teachers and say, that's false teaching. That's heretical. That's not biblical. Who's supposed to do that? The elders? All of us. If you are a believer and you see false teaching, you call it false teaching, which would make the person teaching it what? A false teacher. And false teachers are bad. They're not misguided. They're not misunderstood. They're bad. They're awful. Paul warned the Ephesians about these kind of people. Pay careful attention to yourselves, he says in Acts 20, in his last ditch effort, in the last thing he says to the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, boy that word keeps coming up, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul tells the elders there, be on the lookout, watch out. Jesus said it. 
Matthew 7, 15-20, Beware of false prophets. And Peter said, Just as false prophets arose among them, false teachers will arise among you. Jesus says, Beware of them who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous, what? Wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now we live in a weird time in history. I can get false teaching from every nation in the world right now. I can dial it up on the interwebs. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be this way. I don't have a plug to stop all that from flowing into your lives or into my life. We're supposed to be local people. That's not just a West Virginia thing, even though it is a West Virginia thing. God bless us. Oh my goodness. It is so hard to discern what's good teaching, what's bad teaching, because we can't see the fruits of these people's lives. And so they write books that sell millions of copies, and we like them. And it's poison. Just being dropped into our lives. I would encourage you, and myself, shop local. Books, podcasts, teachings, and I know there's people we're broadcasting right now. Shop local so that you can see the fruit of the lives of the people who are teaching you things. It's not wrong to cut off the rest of that junk. Some of it may be great, some of it may be wonderful. We have John Piper come in every Wednesday and teach us. And there are people who would say you shouldn't do that because you don't know John Piper. Right? I mean, I don't know that they're wrong. If you can't see the fruit of the person's life, which if you look, if they've got a big enough platform, you can see the fruit, right? Again, we talked about last week, they need seed money to buy another jet. No, no, dog. It's going to be a no for me. You ain't getting my cash. You will recognize them by their fruits. So first of all, our attitude is to be look for the fruit in their lives. If you can't see the fruit in their lives, don't listen to their teaching. It's a broad statement. That's first. Second is this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, chew the fat and spit out the bones. I hear it all the time. Well, I know he said that, but this is really good. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Man, that sounds familiar. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. If they teach something different than what the apostles said, they're arrogant, they're ignorant, leave them alone. Run from them. They're wolves. Watch their lives. Know their doctrine. And if they're wolves, don't pet them. Please. And if you have questions and wonder, should I this... Come to us. That's part of what our role is as elders. Brother Jason, I just read this great book by Blank and I'm going to say, oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you why though. Don't ever just accept a no from us. Let me tell you why. Because they teach this, 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 and this too. And the devil's great at adding enough truth in with a lie to make it palatable. Yeah, but this one book was great. And the rest of it's junk. Scabs. So don't. That calls for discernment. Which comes from the Bible, by the way. So awful, now authority. Got to hurry. 
my former boss at Mankin Equipment, Dave Mankin, he got a shout out there. Oh, I got to tell him. Always told me to avoid people in business who are arrogant. He said, because greed and arrogance run together. That's pretty wise. There's not a verse for that. But what we're what we've seen today is these people despise authority. Which means they're promoting themselves. They're not pointing to Jesus. They're not pointing to the apostles' teaching. They're saying, let me tell you about this revelation I had. Let me tell you about this secret wisdom that I've got that I'm about to drop a truth bomb on you and blow your whole belief system out of the water. And then they talk about rebuking Satan and binding demons. And you're going, oh, you're one of those. And it's all based around their opinion of authority. Right? They're arrogant and they're pointing themselves. They got no time for authority. Remember, back in 1 Peter, we were called to resist the devil. What did it say after that? Firm in your faith. All of this, this scripture, this teaching, all of these things about leadership is not about us or any authority that we have in and of ourselves. All authority is found in Jesus. You are not called to bind or rebuke Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Michael said. Michael the archangel. You are in Christ. You are not Christ. For all the promises of God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, find their yes in Him, in Jesus. That's why it's through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, Paul says, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You see how, how often Paul points away to God and to Christ and to the Spirit? He doesn't say, I could come and tell you all what to do because I'm an apostle. Doggone it. But he called himself what an apostle and a slave of Jesus Christ. Come on. For all the promises of God find their yes, not in us, not in me, but in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it's God who establishes us. I'm reading it again because I've got to. With you in Christ and has anointed us. And He didn't say, I have an anointing. John would say in 1 John, you have an anointing. And who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Listen, ultimately authority is about glory. And all of both belong to God. To God be the glory forever and ever, we sing this morning. Not to me, not to us. We recognize that authority. Look at this. This is after... Peter and John healed that crippled guy. Remember this? While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, check us out. I'm going to write a book about what I just did so that you can do it too. Y'all laugh. Every blanking week, Somebody's saying this crap. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we've made Him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied into the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release Him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter knew where the authority came from. It wasn't in Peter. It wasn't in John. It wasn't in the words that Peter spoke. It was in Christ Himself. Why are you looking at us? 
We're not starting a prophecy school. Fool. Jesus did this and Jesus gets the glory for it. That's how you determine who is in authority and what people's attitudes are toward authority. And if it's not this, run. (laughs) Awful authority, finally antithesis. Listen to me. Based on the authority of the Scripture, based on the heart of God that we can see and know through that Scripture, this is a big deal. We should hate what God hates. We don't say that word in our house. We'll start saying it! Because it's obvious from this passage today, along with many, many others, that God has a really low opinion of these folks and is going to pour out a wrath we haven't seen since Calvary on them. And it's going to be poured out on them. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the shepherd hates wolves. Which means... What's the opposite of hate? Heart. Love. So if he hates wolves, he loves his sheep. This hate is born out of love. And that's how the heart of God beats. And so should ours. The concept of antithesis. There is a good and there is a bad. There is a right and there is a wrong. There is sin and there is righteousness. Are there all kinds of things in the middle? Yes, I'll give you that. And sometimes it's harder to discern right from wrong, good from bad, sin from righteousness. But we have to be about that work. And what is not sin is righteousness. And what is not righteousness is sin. First, together for the gospel that I went to, they, oddly enough, broadcasted in R.C. Sproul because he had been sick, and he taught a message on antithesis. I'll put it up later. It's fantastic. We have to be a people in a culture muddled in the mire of mediocrity where nothing means nothing anymore. We have to be a people who say, right wrong. Good, bad. Righteousness, sin. Well, who made you the judge of all the earth? God did. Based on what He loves and what He hates. We have to be a people strong in the concept of antithesis. Is it alright for me to cheat on my wife since she's mean to me? No. Is it all right to pursue this thing because I feel like I want it? No. Well, I mean, everybody else is saying it's okay. Well, God says it's not okay. And fill in the blank. It doesn't take a genius. It takes some discernment and the power of the Holy Spirit to be a people of antithesis. Our shepherd, thank God, is strong on antithesis. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's he's misguided. He flees because doggone the culture. They've ruined him. No, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus, however, says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The fact that God hates evil, the fact that God is going to judge evil, means that He loves His sheep. And that's antithesis. And check this out. You want to see good news? Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Church, He loves you to the point that He laid down His life for you. 
And if He loved you that much, He's going to hate evil as much as well. So should we. Let's pray. God, help us to love enough to call sin, sin. Help us to care enough to call people out of their wicked ways. And God, give us enough discernment to see the wolves and call them wolves. Your Holy Spirit would have it or it wouldn't be in this passage that we read today. It wouldn't be in Your Word over and over and over and over again. God, give us hearts of discernment, hearts of compassion for Your people, and hearts of hatred for evil. And help us to know how to call which, whatever it may be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive a benediction. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.